Hi, this is Damien from New City, Orlando. You're listening to our CBR Bible Project series, where each episode we introduce a different book of the Bible as it coincides with CBR. To learn more about community Bible reading or CBR, visit newcityorlando.com forward slash CBR. Well, welcome again to another CBR podcast. This is Benjamin Kant, and I'm here with Nate Claiborne, and we are going to talk to talk about the letter of James. The letter of James. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm I'm well. I I really actually appreciate the letter of James. I think it's got a uniqueness in the New Testament, and so as we talk about it, hopefully we'll be able to draw out some of the ways in which it it fits into the rest of the New Testament in a way that no other book does. Mm-hmm. So why do you think the book of James is important for us to read? Well, I think if we, if we think really big picture structural with the New Testament, um, we get the four Gospels at the beginning, we get Acts that kind of continues the story in Luke, and then we get all of Paul's epistles, and Paul's really majoring on a specific aspect of the Gospel, this idea of justification by faith. Um, and he's really, really leaning hard into grace, saved by grace, not by works, saved by Christ alone, not by anything else. Um, and then when we get past Hebrews, which isn't Paul, we think, mm-hmm. um, someone might disagree, but when we get past that, we get to these general epistles. And unlike Paul's epistles that are written to specific churches or a specific person, the epistles after that have the person's name on them. So mm. First Peter, Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, James, and Jude. Mm-hmm. And one way of looking at it would be these general epistles that were written to the church as a whole by specific people help balance Paul in some ways. Mm. So Paul's putting the accent of the gospel on the grace part, and James and First John and Peter putting the accent of the gospel on the saved unto good works part or onto the, this is how we live in community. This is how we live in exile. Mm-hmm. This is how we live like Jesus. This is how we live in an age where apologetics is now necessary. If we're thinking about Jude. And so I think James fits into that larger, you don't just pick and choose which parts of the new Testament you mm-hmm. are comfortable with and you're big, big on Paul and that's all you need. It's no, the reason we have all these books is, we have Paul, we have these books, we have the Gospels. It's because they all are telling the same story and are leading us to follow Christ in different ways, and we need them all together. Mm-hmm. And just as a, I, I find these nerdy side notes fun, but if you look, Paul writes to seven churches, not seven letters, but writes to seven churches. The book of Revelation starts with letters to seven churches, mm-hmm. and First Peter, Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude, and James are seven general letters. Mm. And so there's this interesting seven by seven by seven. You're in good company. That is so nerdy and so cool at the same time. Right. I figured (laughs) you'd appreciate that. that. Yeah. I've never heard that before. And I really appreciate that. Um, well, and, and even as you described, uh, the way in which these letters, the general epistles, if you will, are written to a more general audience. And, and we see that in the way that James begins, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And, you know, if you know your Bible, you know that 12 tribes is a significant phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Um, and, and so the fact that James is writing to the 12 tribes, we understand him writing actually not to the 12 tribes of Israel in the kind of the t- technical Old Testament sense, but as in the who are the new 12 tribes of Israel? Well, it's the church. 
He's yeah. writing to the people of God, which is Israel, because there's only one people of God. Um, and so the church is receiving this, and he's calling the church the 12 tribes that's in the distur- dispersion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, we've talked about how James is unique in, in that he's writing to a more general audience. Tell us, what, what about James as an author? What's significant about him? I think there, there's some discussion about which James this is. James, not unlike John, is a very common name. It is now. It was then as well. And so there's a James that's a, a disciple. But for the most part, I, I think the consensus, of, at least in evangelical circles, is that this James is James, the brother of Jesus. And so it, it's interesting if you've read the Gospels and thought about, well, the only time we hear about brothers, sisters, or family of Jesus, they're kind of trying to get him to stop doing mm. what he's doing. Like, So they seem to be set up in opposition to him. And yet now we have this book of James purportedly written by brother of Jesus. And it's one of the earliest, if not the earliest book in the New Testament in terms of when it was written, which means James has to have experienced a conversion. Mm. Um, and I, I grew up as an only child. You had siblings. But I, just from what I know of brothers and sisters, <laughs> it's extremely unlikely that a brother would worship his brother as right. God, unless some very significant thing has happened. It's like the beginning of this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like many of us would want our siblings to call us, <laughs> to call themselves the, our servants, right? And maybe right. we even treat them that way. But for him to willingly call himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, his mm. brother, it's right. a significant thing. Yeah. And it's, even further interesting, I, I can't remember where I read this, but it talked about how there were earlier Jewish revolutions, like we read about them in Maccabees and in the intertestamental, the period of history between mm-hmm. the old and new. And it was actually kind of customary if a leader died, his mm. brother would take up his mantle for him. Wow. And so we kind of see that with this James because we find out from Acts and other places he's James the Just, he's James the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So he kind of is the first leader in some respects after Jesus is gone. Mm-hmm. So he experiences this radical conversion. He becomes this leader. He's known as James the Just. He's writing this really the first probably epistle that's being written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He's the first person kind of reaching out beyond Jerusalem mm-hmm. in some sense. And then we, we read the rest of his story elsewhere. Mm. But he's a very significant person in the early church, even if we don't really think about him as significant now because of he's just kind of tucked away towards the end there sure. in the New Testament. Well, and you mentioned this, but it's there's a, something to the fact that uh, what would it take to get a brother to, to worship their own brother, right? And so this even is one of those kind of uh, you know, loose threads that you got to deal with if you don't really want the re- resurrection of Jesus to be a reality is you've got to deal with this piece of evidence mm-hmm. uh, that one of his brothers that's earlier, we have clear evidence. I mean, in the Gospel of John, they're like totally trying Jesus. They're like, why don't you go to the feast and show us you're really the Messiah if that's who you say you are. Right. right. Uh, and, and so James goes from being hostile, even combatant towards Jesus, saying he's the Messiah, to I'm a slave of this Messiah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a significant thing for the resurrection. Um, and, and, and we were talking about the uniqueness of, of James. And another way that James is unique in the, in the New Testament is James's wisdom literature. 
right? Yeah. And so when we when we get done, you know, reading through uh, maybe the Gospels or Acts, these narrative pieces, or we get through Paul's epistles, their discourse, a lot of teaching, and and then you get to James, and it just reads very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of punchy, pithy kind of one-liners, uh, very short, very succinct and concise, but really hard-hitting at the same time. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot like Proverbs. Like it, it doesn't, it's not cast as poetry where some of the verses are more or less disconnected from the other verses, but it has that, like you say, punchiness to it like a proverb would, but it's, it's a little more relentless because it's expositional and it's verse, 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 trying to d- develop these themes through mm. these kind of short jabs and jabs and then a left hook and then mm-hmm. a jab and then a left hook. Mm. Well, and, and so when we look at the book of James, we begin to read it. We just start in chapter one. And helpfully, chapter one is a summary of everything that's going to come up in the next five chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we encounter a bunch of these themes, uh, things like suffering and trials and, and how to withstand those in a faithful way. And things like impartiality, like how do, the, how do we interact with both the rich and the poor, both the, the powerful and the weak? Um, things like the the way you use words and the tongue, um, how you handle your anger, how you uh, are called to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word, right? All of this stuff shows up in chapter one, and then it gets really teased out for us more and more in the subsequent chapters. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's helpful when someone points that out to you because it, I almost feel like it's not something you would naturally pick up on. Mm-hmm. Especially, when, I mean, one of the benefits of CBR is that we're reading through the whole Bible. But one of the downsides of it is by only doing a chapter a day, mm-hmm. and especially if you, maybe you miss a day, like you read James 1, and then you miss the next day, and so the next time you read it's James 3. Right. You, it, it, sometimes it can be hard to see these connections because we, you don't really get this 30,000-foot overview mm-hmm. or you know, refer back to earlier chapters as you get farther into the book. That's right. Yeah. So even just reading it, if you were to sit down in one sitting and read through the whole book of James, you'd probably see a lot more of this than going chapter by chapter. Right. Well, and you, I think the first way it would strike you is that James is repetitive. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, I That's feel like right. I've read that before, but then you, you would have to actually do the wrestling yourself yeah. to see that, oh, everything in the first chapter gets repeated at some point later and expanded on in some way. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions we often ask on this podcast is what do you think would help readers to make sense of this? And we've been talking about how it's wisdom literature and that should help uh, inform the way we engage this book. Anything else that you think is important for us as readers of James to read it well, to read it properly? I think it's you you can kind of one of the first things we we said was this idea that James is really practical. Mm -hmm. So he 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 doesn't really give us. I mean, you, you can riff on this after this, but the idea that he kind of is similar to the Sermon on the Mount in some sense, mm-hmm. um, which is extremely practical mm-hmm. rather than expositional, like, let me explain this doctrine to you. It, it is doctrinal, it is theological, but the accent is on how does believing this thing to be true play out in the way you treat one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you, you get the, you land on this place in, in chapter two, where you've got James coming right out and saying, um, verse 22, 22, you see that he's talking about Abraham. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. 
And then he says, and scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Mm-hmm. And then immediately you're like, oh wait, I feel like that's different than what Paul said mm-hmm. elsewhere. But if you're thinking in terms of, he's really talking about justification in terms of, it doesn't matter if you say you believe something and mm-hmm. you live in contradiction to that. Mm-hmm. Before other people, your faith is not justified. Mm-hmm. They see you say, you call yourself a Christian, but you treat other people horribly. Your your faith is dead at that point. It's not it's not valid. Right. It's not fruit. It's not producing fruit. Yeah. You invalidate your faith by the way you live. So you say one thing, you live this way. Your faith seems to be pretty right. worthless. And even in in the way you described how there's just this kind of practical nature, uh, I think about that uh, well known verse in in chapter one where he talks about being. Uh, we all we all kind of know this probably this quick to hear, uh, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's like there's something really simple and and practical about that, mm-hmm. and yet not easy. Right. <laughs> simple and easy are not the same thing. And so it's like it might take a life a lifetime to learn to be slow to speak, and to be quick to listen, and to be slow to anger. Right. Yeah, and I, that's some of the beauty I think of James is middle schoolers can understand what James is saying for yeah. the most, for the most part, it's sure. just very straightforward, but it takes a lifetime. And like you say, of age experience, wisdom to actually embody some of the things James is telling us. Mm-hmm. And, and it's worth probably zooming out at this point and saying, what is James after in all of this, right? He's got this wisdom literature. He's moving us. He's, he's kind of riffing on the Sermon on the Mount, which means he's probably been um, meditating on his, his own brother's teaching for a while and probably putting it into practice in his own life. He's showing how does this actually work out. And then he's writing this letter and, and in a lot of ways is, is talking about some of the same themes from the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so I think it's significant to talk about the maybe the theme of the book of James is I think maturity or wholeness. Yeah. And and where I get that from is there's a Greek word and the Greek word is telos. And and it's that's one of those Greek words that maybe you know something about it uh, mm-hmm. even if you don't know Greek well and but we we might translate it goal or complete or perfect or something on those lines. Um, I'm saying here it's probably maturity or wholeness. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, right? This be mature, whole, mm. complete as your father in heaven is complete. Um, and, and James, I think, is after that. And one of the reasons why I think that is, is because in five chapters, he uses that word nine times or some sort of a form of that word. Right. And that's not always the best way to determine if that's the thing in a book, but it's not a bad way to start with. What are some main primary words that he comes back to over and over and over mm. again? And this word, telos, which gets translated perfect, full, gr- fully grown, uh, complete, um, various times throughout this book, is really, is really significant. We'll give you one example. In verse, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what he's after with giving you wisdom to live your life is he's trying to make you a whole person, uh, which, you know, our mission here at New City is to make whole life disciples for their callings. We care about wholeness. This is something we're really keenly concerned with. And James is talking about it. James is saying, yeah, pursuing wholeness, maturity, completeness really matters as a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. And I think he's giving you, he, he could give you a lot of different 
avenues to pursue that. But I think it's instructive that he gives you, you know, the way you treat other people, rich and poor, in your community. So he's giving you like a situational, mm -hmm. like this is a good test of whether you've grown in that. But then he's also talking about the tongue and anger, and it's just very like that's something very internal to me specifically. It's very existential. It's very like you can't help me deal with my own anger and mm -hmm. my own tongue, right? Mm -hmm. I have to think about how do I speak? How do I let my emotions either control or am I, are they driving the way I'm interacting with people or mm -hmm. am I able to process them in, in healthy ways? And then just this idea of wisdom and the importance of um, just words in general, not necessarily connected to anger in the tongue, but he's giving big picture things. So it's like he's giving you all these different tests that you can measure whether you're working towards maturity that mm -hmm. are really, they're not the be all end all, but they cover the basis pretty good. Mm -hmm. And even if you feel like, oh, I'm, I, I, I don't show, you know, preference to rich people over poor people. I care about the poor in my community, but do you cut people down with your words? Mm -hmm. like, it's like, you can't read through the whole book and say, oh, I've mastered all that. Now what? It's like, a, oh, I, I feel like I'm good with this, but oh man, that really hurts like what he's saying in That's this right. chapter mm -hmm. so as we're um, drawing towards a close nate i'd love to hear what's a favorite passage a favorite text or two from this epistle of james that you know whenever you read it maybe it sticks out or something that you find yourself coming back to often well i i always come back to the the be doers of the word and not hearers only mm. um you see that in chapter 1 verse 22 and just this idea of as as a person, I'm inclined to study. I'm inclined to listen. I'm inclined to mm -hmm. read. And just kind of being, that's a good reminder that it's not just all about absorbing content. It's mm -hmm. about doing something about it. It's, it should lead towards action. It should lead towards loving neighbors, loving each other. Um, it's, and I know that's one way of applying this. Another way would be you're just sitting in church every Sunday and you hear things that the pastor's saying, but it doesn't really take any root. It's just sort of mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's a great sermon. And then you just move on with your life and don't reflect and kind of see where that strikes you and see what might need to change. And so even listening to a podcast or about the Bible, <laughs> listening to just pod, yeah, podcast about the Bible, but just this, this idea that faith and works are not enemies, they're friends mm. and they go hand in hand and hearing the word and doing the word go hand in hand. And listening is really not just hearing, but it's obeying. It's mm. this idea that you really have truly listened to the voice of God when you obey. Mm -hmm. And before we got started with this podcast, you were telling me a little bit about how the the word for hearing, or the, I'm sorry, the word for obeying has the word hearing kind of built into the very word itself. Yeah, it's just, I, I feel like part of this podcast is kind of like a, a subtle commercial for Learn Greek, like <laughs> just with what you were saying about tell us. Bible nerd. Yeah, be, <laughs> be a Bible nerd like us. Um, but just you wouldn't know that telos is in there nine times because it's translated as different things that's in right. English. And so that's just the complexities of moving from one language to another. But when we look at the word for obey, it's, and I'll probably say this wrong because my Greek pronunciation is off, but hupakuo, and it, it has this idea of akuo is just the word for listen. So mm -hmm. hupakuo is obey, but that hoop, hoop or hype or hyper mm -hmm. is that prefix that's on the front end of it. And I don't want to make an exegetical fallacy and say that obedience is hyper listening. Ah, um, I almost said it. So yeah. I'm glad that you <laughs> nipped that in the Right. Brain. But it, it is, I think the important part is there's a linguistic connection in Greek between 
listening and obeying and Mm -hmm. obeying seems to be predicated on listening first and Mm -hmm. listening in that sense is not just hearing and in one ear and out the other that's attentive listening yeah so well said by the way you don't need to know greek in order to understand your bible you can you can rely on the you know countless translators and people that are (laughs) that are called to that purpose right as teachers of the word and um and and i don't think nate or i are saying that even though (laughs) we might try to give you a little bit of insight from the greek (laughs) Um, and so one of the things that I, you know, you mentioned earlier, Nate, how you might read the, the epistle of James and you get to the end and you feel like you've taken a few gut punches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and why I think that's so significant is because maybe we need that every now and again, right? Like maybe yeah. we need our, uh, we need to be checked in the way that we're carrying out our relationship with the poor or the way in which we use our tongue. I mean, I'm, I'm often baffled by when James says... <laughs> Uh, he says in, in chapter three, verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Mm. I'm just like, you know, James is thinking we can ride elephants. <laughs> That's an absurd right. idea that he doesn't well, know about SeaWorld. He so. doesn't know about SeaWorld yet that people have, you know, plunged from the abyss with on the nose of a orca. Right. <laughs> and so we, he, we literally make apex predators do tricks for us. That's exactly right. And yet I find myself mouthing off day in and day out and have a really hard time controlling that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, goodness, what an insightful way to put this. And again, he didn't even have SeaWorld, right. uh, nor did he have Twitter, <laughs> a, a great place to tame the tongue, right? That's right. Um, and so I, I think it's important for me to say, I will read the book of James and I will get done and I will be often either totally shut down from letting him convict me, the Holy Spirit through James, that mm-hmm. is, or I'm, I'm so just, I can be overwhelmed by the fact that, man, I really fall short. And, and that's why James 4 verse, uh, you know, just getting into, into verse 6 and onwards, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so the response to the kind of the gut punch that James offers you is humble yourselves. Like, don't harden your hearts. Don't, uh, you know, think of a dozen ways in which you're better than some, so-and-so at doing these various things. Like, well, yeah, at least I, I do this for the poor. I, so-and-so doesn't, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's such a close temptation for us, comparison or judgment or... Right. It's like the call to James, that James is giving us is humble yourself because grace runs downhill and God loves, he delights to give grace to the humble. And he goes on in verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Right? Like in that moment, don't let your conviction, don't let the, the, the fact that you're kind of gasping for air after the, the one-two punch, uh, don't let that make you recoil back from God in, in guilt and shame. In fact, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before God and he'll give grace to you. It's when we make ourselves uh, resistant or distant, um, when we become proud is when we are actually thwarting the whole purpose of this book and when we're really cutting ourselves off from grace.